This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 231. And the quote of the day is, never get cocky with the music business. It will turn around and bite you. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 231. And before there were only 50 episodes that you could find on iTunes and Stitcher and all that, you should be able to find all 231 of them on there now. I made some adjustments on the site. So let me know if that's working for you, if that's not working for you, whatever the case may be. Uh, You can just shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. Also, if you are getting any value from this podcast, Please consider supporting it. You can support it for as little as a dollar a month, all the way up to a hundred dollars a month or even more. You can learn all about it at drummersresource.com forward slash support. And support literally starts at a dollar a month. And every little bit helps, helps pay for expenses, helps pay for staff, uh, new equipment, things like that. So if you are getting value from any of these podcasts, please consider supporting at drummersresource.com forward slash support. Speaking of supporting, I encourage you to support my friends at Dream Symbols. And they have a couple great, th- I mean, they have a lot of great things going on, but a couple of things that really stick out to me is the recycling program. You can bring in a broken symbol to a participating dealer. And for every inch of symbol you bring in, you get a dollar off on your next Dream Symbol or Gong. So you bring in three 20 inch rides, you get $60 off your next symbol. They can be broken, cracked, faded, chipped, dented, dinged, whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, also, they take those old symbols and they melt them down and they make uh, their crop circles out of them and their crotales and things like that. Also, now for the holiday season, well, not for the holiday season, but it's good for the holiday season, is their ignition pack. So they are literally pro level symbols priced at entry level prices. So you can get really high quality professional grade symbols, excuse me, at really low cost. So you can learn all about that stuff and all their other great products at dreamsymbols.com. Now, today's guest is Steve Rennie, and Steve was the longtime manager of the mega huge band Incubus for 17 years. He actually signed them, managed them all throughout their entire career. Before that, he was the vice president of Epic Records. He worked at Avalon Attractions, has been in the business for 37 years, and now runs what he calls Renman MB for Renman Music Business. And it's an online, it's a site online that you can go and learn all about the ins and outs of the music business for up and comers and he teaches you everything you need to know about the music business so a really cool site that he has there and he has infinite amounts of knowledge about the the music industry and we talk about the difference between the music business and the drumming business and we talk about what you need to know to be successful in the music business if you really want to do this uh how it's hard to make it in the business but you got to take a shot because if you don't take the shot you're never gonna you're never gonna know if you could have made it or not so some really great insight here from steve i'm super pumped that he took the time to chat with me i know that a lot of people are trying to get a piece of his time because he has so much knowledge so Very, very appreciative that he took the time to chat with me and share all of this knowledge with us. So without further ado, let's get into it with Steve Rennie. Steve Rennie, how are you? I'm so glad to have you today. Thanks for doing this. 
Uh, glad to be here. Thank you, Nick, and uh, um, looking forward to chatting with you. It's early for you out there. You're in, you're in L.A., right? Uh, it's 7.04, but uh, I'm on my – well, actually, I've switched off the coffee. Now I'm on strong English breakfast tea. Oh. Uh, I'm an early riser uh, for the music business types. I'm, any type, actually. I'm, the, I'm the same way. I'm like a 5, 5.30 guy. Um, 4.30 to 5 with no alarm clock. Really? I, I have two big alarm clocks, my two Labrador retrievers who are used to getting fed between 4.30 and 5. And I was, yeah. was going to ask what your secret is, but I guess you just told me what it is. Yeah, well, even without <laughs> them, I could do it, but it, they're a much better wake-up call than your Apple iPhone going off. Sure. I, I prefer a big lick in the face. <laughs> So I want to build a little bit of context for the audience about the things that you've done. I mean, you've you've worked with a lot of amazing people. You've done, you know, worked in the record business. You have managed bands. You've done all that stuff. So let's just give a little bit of your backstory, build a little bit of context, and then we can really start diving deep into uh, just some thoughts on, on the business and all sorts of stuff. All right. You want, you want me to, to sure. give you the, the, the dime store version? Sure. Um, I started as a music fan. I think that's always a great place um, to start, um, listening to all my favorite English bands back in the 70s, uh, Rolling Stones, The Beatles, The Who, Led Zeppelin, uh, you name them. If they were English, I loved them. And uh, so um, that's how I got started. Um, with with a, just, you know, I'm not a musician at all like yourself, uh, you know, Nick, I can I can play one thing that that little dan dan to the Rolling Stones. That is it. <laughs> I don't even play that very well, right? But what I do play well is golf, and uh, the golf connection. All this is that uh, you know, so many people thought that I who would think that well, you must have always wanted to be in the music business. And strangely enough, that that wasn't really as much as I love music. It never really occurred to me that it would be a career, right? Because what I wanted to do was be a professional golfer. And uh, so I played a lot of golf and uh, coincidentally or somewhat, you know, destiny or whatever, I wound up um, caddying at a country club here in LA called Hillcrest Country Club, which is a very uh, exclusive country club and had tons of uh, very successful uh, showbiz folks there. Uh, and, and also lots of successful business people, but a lot of showbiz people. Anyway, I decided to play golf for a living and went to college for about a semester and then just said, this isn't for me. I got to I gotta do this golf thing. And the reason I always bring that up is because it's not it's, – it's only a different vehicle. It's the same mentality to fuel so many people that are interested in making a career in music, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I did that for about four years. And um, You're saying to be a professional golfer is the same as – well, the same level of commitment, and sure. I had a passion for that, the way some kids would ditch school to or wouldn't do their homework so they could practice guitar or make noise with their drums. I did that with golf, right? Mm-hmm. And so instead of carrying around a guitar case or you carrying around a drum case, I had a golf bag over my shoulder. Right. And, uh, and I was very passionate. I was very disciplined about it. I just wanted to do it anyway. But it became clear after about four years that that wasn't, that it was more likely to be teaching a bunch of old ladies how to play golf than play on the PGA Tour, and, and teaching golf wasn't what I had in mind. So anyway, I went back to college, uh, ostensibly to go back and become go to law school, right? And uh, so as a twist of fate, I, I decided I would take a speech communications class, and 
because I think, well, if you're going to be a lawyer, you should be able to speak on your feet and sure. be somewhat articulate. Anyway, as, as fate would have it, the teacher of the class um, had a student in another class that was similar to me. I spent a lot of time having fun in high school and, you know, playing golf in the day and getting stoned and listening to music at night. <laughs> you know, I can say that now. It's legal out here in California. Um, and uh, so when I went back to college, I had a different idea in mind. But as, as luck would have it, this guy says, hey, you know, you should, you should be on the debate team. And I'm like, debate team? Are you kidding me? That was like the antithesis of who I was in, back in high school. And he had this other kid in another class who, strangely enough, went to Beverly Hills Catholic School. I went to Beverly Hills High School. And uh, he put us two together, so we went and we went to a debate tournament, ostensibly to practice our speech communication skills, and we won, right? And uh, we kept winning against all these very geeky crowd compared to us. There were two guys, you know, finishing up, and he'd jump with a couple beers, and I'd be smoking weed, and all these other guys thought we were out of our mind. We're like, hey, out of our mind, we just beat you. <laughs> okay, you guys, you guys may be smarter than us, but we're clearly smart enough and actually much more likable than you guys, you know? So Game anyway, over. Up, the coach decided that we needed to get a bigger budget. Of course, my partner and I, who were, went from, hey, this is the stupidest thing in the world to, hey, we just won. I like winning. Can we win anywhere? I'm all over it. Uh, so I decided to run, or they decided I would run for president of the school, and I did. And here's the twist of fate. And, and for folks out there that you just never know sometimes where life will lead you. There was a 2,500-seat amphitheater at Santa Monica College, and they had a $60,000 budget to book bands, right? And the guy who was in charge of booking the bands comes up to me and says, you know, uh, you know, you clearly, you know, he watched my whole campaign. He goes, you'll clearly talk to anything short of a telephone poll. He said, you know, I don't really enjoy talking to these agents and managers. Would you be interested in helping out? And I said, fuck yeah. So I, I immediately started trying to book bands, um, for our amphitheater, and last night, strangely enough, I was having dinner with uh, the manager of Tom Petty, a guy by the name of Tony Dimitriadis, who was just starting in the business, as was Tom Petty back in the day, and we were reminiscing and so forth. I said, Tony, you're, you were one of the names I remember because I had $2,500 set aside for, for you or tr Cheap Trick. That was going to be my big payday band. And I said, I wind up getting Eddie Money. Nice. A bunch of other acts, you know, but that's how I started in the music business. And from there, I, you know, I wound up getting a debate scholarship to USC. Ta I literally talked my way into USC, um, booked all the concerts there, met a lot of agents uh, and managed all kind of, at the time, they all felt like big agents to me. Reality is they were the college agent. They were the low schmuck in the company, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that helped me get started. And eventually I was offered a gig in the mailroom at William Morris. Uh, only for them to find out for reasons I won't explain in this podcast that I didn't quite graduate from USC. <laughs> and so they did a degree check on me. And this was back in the days of the EEOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to make sure that everybody had a fair shot, which was kind of a joke in the music business because it was all a bunch of white Jewish guys, you know, right, right. Uh, and, and a couple of guys thrown in there. And uh, anyway, uh, they wouldn't let me in. I went to the head of the company, this guy named A. Blaswell, who was a member at Hillcrest Country Club. I must have been the only guy that, you know, some 22-year-old guy has all these goombas in there and all the agents wanted, how'd you pull that off? And I used to caddy for the guy, right? And anyway, long story short, I didn't get the job and started ultimately my own 
concert company and started booking some of the same bands that I'd booked at college who were moving up the food chain. And that ultimately got me a job with Avalon Attractions, which is now part of, you know, the Live Nation uh, bunch. You know, after a few years of being a manager or a, a promoter, I met so many managers and most of them were not great. I thought I could do this, and I quite liked the idea of being the captain and having everybody, instead of me worrying about how the manager's feeling, I thought, well, let them worry about how I'm feeling. Sure. So I became a manager, uh, managed a bunch of bands, um, all of them hip, all of them cool, none of them big, big. Where big read, you could make money off it. And ultimately, um, my work with Sony landed me a gig with Epic Records because the president of the company at the time, by the name of Richard Griffiths, who's now the manager of one Direction, Five Seconds of Summer, amongst others, um, also a golfer, um, had decided we'd become friendly over playing golf and decided that, I, you know, Steve, you should come and work for Sony because you're sucking way too much fucking money out of my product managers. <laughs> and as it turned out, he had a real penchant for hiring former managers. You know, Steve Barnett, who's the president of Capitol Records now, was a former agent manager. David Massey, who runs, I believe, Mercury Records these days, former manager of Wang Chung, a gentleman by the name of Jed Doherty, who uh, managed an act back in the day called Paul Young, became the head of Sony in the UK. And uh, I was, I suppose, the, uh, the the malcontent of the bunch, but he hired me because I was a golfer and he loved playing golf. And so all the senior vice presidents at the company were were managers. And in any event, I, I worked there for about three and a half years. And during that time, I met Incubus, helped get him signed to the label. And for all intents and purposes, um, was their manager from day one because ironically, just like that first guy that got me in the business who didn't really like talking to agents and managers and record company people, mm-hmm. neither did the first manager of Incubus. And I was quite happy to say to him what I said to the guy back in college is, don't, don't you worry about it. I'll handle all the stuff on the inside. You just make sure these fuckers show up. Right. right. Yeah. And so that's a long, short version of my, uh, background in the music business so when you first were a professional golfer what's that being a professional golfer failed professional golfer right i what's it what do they say failure way to success i guess uh yeah when you when you first started was it was it sort of like i'll kind of see where this goes or was there a turning point of or sort of that light switch where you're like man this is well this is sort of where i belong this is what i'm going to do and and i'm going to really go after this it's both of those, you know. When I was a kid playing golf, you know, being surrounded by big time people in the music business and the movie business and finance business, real kingpins of L.A., um, it gave me a look at the show business. From, you know, from a, you know, again, get golfer caddying for people, but hearing him talk about it and so forth. So, um, in a way. I was comfortable, you know, in that situation. I, I grew up in Beverly Hills, but I wasn't a rich kid. I, my mother worked, and my brothers and I shared a, you know, one of our one bedroom and a two bedroom apartment, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it got me comfortable in, in that whole scenario. And so when I, when I and I was a big lover of music. I, you know, I spend my money back on the day. I make my forty dollars on the weekend, and you know, go to concerts and do all the stuff you did when you were a teenager, right? And uh, but. Um, when I started booking those concerts at Santa Monica, right, I liked a lot 
being the guy throwing the party, having been to quite a few big parties and having been to quite a few concerts, I loved being the man. And it didn't take long for me to figure that out. But the irony to your question is, is, is this something I want to do forever? The truth is for the next 36, 37 years, every year, particularly this time of year, December, I was sitting there going, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Is this ever going to work out? Or when it started to work out, God, is this going to end tomorrow? Am I just the luckiest guy in the world? Um, that little bit of fear and insecurity and paranoia, which I like to call the FIP factor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is always been there. And so I'll say that to young people and I'll go, well, you don't seem like you're, you seem confident and scared. And I go, it's showbiz, man. When the lights are on, I'm not going to show you that, but trust me inside every day I go, is this going to be another day in the music business? And I don't say that to get people nervous, but just, just to highlight that even when it appears to be going well, it's, it's a funny business because it's based at its core on emotions, not fact, not, you know, the screw goes here, that bolt goes here, you know, mm-hmm. computer programmers, you know, in their world is simple. If you line the zeros and ones up right, it works. If it doesn't, one of those zeros and ones is out of place, right? Mm-hmm. Two plus two always equals four. In the music business, I'll, I'll ask you, Nick, does two plus two equal four in the music business? I'll argue it could equal anything. Sure. <laughs> it's it's such a volatile mark. I mean, mark. it's like anything can happen. It's like every it's day. Because- it's because the human element is ever present, and most of us are failed human beings in, in one way or another. And, and the ones that look like they're not are just, I, I always sit there and go, they're just hiding their worst moments better than most. Mm-hmm. We all got them. It's, <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting where we sort of how it's all based on the human emotion. And I, I'm a huge baseball fan. I played baseball uh, in high school and, and really wa- sort of wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to play pro ball, but realized, you know, I'm just never, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but I, I always said, you know, if I was the greatest baseball player in the world, a team would find me. I could yeah. get, on, I could get on a team and I could play professional baseball. I can yeah. be the greatest drummer in the world and never make it out of my basement. That's true. And I think it's hard for people to get their arms around that, right? And, and, and when I started this whole kind of mentoring thing, which for me is, you know, because I've had a great ride in the music business, I have no desire to try to go out and find another band and go through all the stuff that, you know, all the Incubus fans or Wonder Step fans or any of the bands that I managed over the years. Um, they just see the end product. They don't see all the the human stuff, you know, sure. and some of it not great human stuff, you mm-hmm. know, that goes along with it. And, and again, as I was talking to Tony Dimitriotis last night, he's a very confident English guy, but it's just so funny how when I sit with people, I've known Tony for years, um, where we all, the really great ones will acknowledge how much luck and fate and being at the right place at the right time with the right timing and the right lighting um, presented an opportunity. Um, and I can think of countless folks that I, I rate as smart, talented business people that didn't have the same level of success I had because they didn't get the right horse. It's not that they didn't know how to ride a horse or what they just, it just didn't happen. And so I don't, I try not to spend too much time thinking about why me and not somebody else because 
you know, I'm not sure I'll ever find the answer. And, and but I'm absolutely certain it doesn't matter. It did. And uh, but talent alone and enthusiasm alone will not guarantee that. And that I think is the toughest thing for musicians in particular um, to get their arms around. Right. Right. And it's sort of whether or not you want to roll the dice or not. And and I don't mean that in a in a negative way of saying like you shouldn't go for it, but you know, it's there's there's definitely some luck involved. I think if you're, I think that if you're that good of a of a player, you can get some touring work or some session work or something like that. Well, I mean, yeah. there's not really session work anymore, but um, but touring work. But you know, being Bruno Mars is there's a lot of luck that goes in yeah, well, that. Bruno Mars is a great example. We had. Uh, his A and R guy, guy, young guy by the name of Aaron Bay shook on my web show a couple of times, right? And so again, if you're looking at Bruno Mars, you go, "Oh, he's the greatest. He's unbelievably talented." Well, he got one record deal, got passed, he got signed, and did they never put a record out? So that doesn't suggest that that was always the case that he was great. Mm-hmm. He kept working on his stuff. Um, it took Aaron Bay shook not once, not twice, but three times to get him signed to Atlantic Record. And the way he got him signed was getting him collaborations, you know, with other artists on songs that he had wrote or where he sang the top lead vocal and so forth, right? So even Bruno Mars, which seems like an obvious one, took about 10 years for it to happen. And so mm-hmm. um, it, when, when kids are sitting there thinking about, I just want to be a big star like Bruno Mars, they're looking at the end result again and missing everything that it took to get there. And so the common denominator you would find among people like Bruno Mars is a great talent. Okay. Um, the willingness to get better. Clearly he must've gotten better from the time they wouldn't put his record out to the time putting his record out is a big deal. Right. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, the attitude and the commitment that it really takes if you want to do this. Right. And yet without the right song, without the right people at the right time, we might not know Bruno Mars, but we might know, insert pop star X today, right? And no matter who you are, um, once you have success, um, that attitude and the way you handle your success and the way you handle the people around you um, has a huge impact uh, about how long you stay there (laughs) and and, uh, whether you wind up sadly like Amy Winehouse or or Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin or you, you... you pick your dead rock star, right? Who got where they wanted to be, and it killed them. Mm-hmm. There's a. Uh, I didn't the, want to get this all dark in the morning. No, Sorry. no, no, no. And I, no, I agree. You know, the funny thing is talking about luck is the fact that uh, his Bruno's drummer is his uh-huh. bro- is his brother. <laughs> so his brother was a cop. And a drummer. He's a, he was a drummer. He, you know, they played in bands together. And so mm. Bruno Mars is doing his whole thing, and then he blows up. So now his brother has the luck of being his brother and being a drummer. So now he's playing on the Super Bowl with his brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like uh, there's yeah. some, that's luck. Well, but there's something else, and I, I stress it to, to young folks who are thinking there's one thing to be lucky, right? And and, I, and I, there's a lesson in my course, you know, called timing and lighting, which is like like one of my catchphrases for years. Got to have the right timing and lighting. And what it, and the guts of that lesson is is that um, you never know when that opportunity will happen. You never know if that great opportunity will happen. 
But to use the golf analogy, when I play in a tournament versus playing with my buddies, they call your name. You got to put that ball on the peg and you have to hit it wherever it goes. And so if you just have been fucking around thinking about not doing the work, thinking about, well, why am I doing the work? I may never get my shot, so I won't do the work, right? When your moment to shine, to stand out, to make your case comes, if you're not ready, you'll whiff and you will not likely get a second chance, right? Mm -hmm. And so, again, this all gets back to this attitude, which is it would be easy to think, why should I put in all that work, Steve, if, if there's no chance that I'm going to get be successful, if it's one in a million? And my response is, it is one in a million. Why should you do that? Because you think you got a shot. And if when you've taken that shot and you've given it your, your best effort, for me, that was golf for four years, it's okay to say, wow, this really is tough. This really is like a crapshoot on some level. And, and, and maybe I should use the drums as a hobby and get a different career and so forth and so on. And I know tons of very successful business people that were musicians. They're happy to tell you they're musicians. And, and when I say you're a former musician, they're always quick to stop me. You're never a former musician, Steve, yeah. right? And so um, that's the trick of the music business. It's one in a million, and, I, and that hasn't changed one iota, folks. It's now like one in 25 million because everybody thinks that because they can make music for cheap, where you used to have to go in a big studio. Now I've seen some great music being made right on a laptop. My kid was in here with a young artist he's managing, right? My son was working on the photos and the videos, and the kid was sitting there. He's an electronic artist, you know, working on his computer making music, right? Um, but just because you make music doesn't mean you're entitled to a response, entitled to make money, you know. That, that's, that's the fairy tale. And... Uh, I've bummed a lot of people out and in some ways inspired some people by saying, look, you're going into battle. you got to be realistic. Those guys that were getting off those boats at D-Day, mm -hmm. I think all of them knew they might not be coming back. And if I was their captain, giving them the pep talk, I'd say, gentlemen, we're all not we're, – we're, we're not – the only way we're coming back is mortally wounded or in a bag. So I suggest we try to run the fuck up that hill as fast as we can and – your fate is in God's hand. So, gentlemen, start going. Run. Right. Yeah. <laughs> run. <laughs> you know, Forrest, run. <laughs> so what advice do you have for 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old? Let's say drummers just because, you know, a lot of the listeners are drummers. Uh, and they're like, they come to you and they say, hey, man, I, I really want to get into the industry. And we, you and I talked a lot about or a little bit about the difference between the drumming business and the music business. Um, because the drumming business to me is more of like the drumming manufacturing business and the clinicians and things like that are on that side of it. And then there's the music business, which are two totally different worlds. Well, I think that, that, that there's some intersection. If you were, if you and I were starting a, a pizza business, a pizzeria, right? We'd go out and we'd promote, we'd have to network in the neighborhood to I'd, make sure. I'd say fine. don't do it. Well, okay. No, yeah. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, from yeah. a long no, family but, of restaurants. Or anybody that's starting a business, I don't care what business is, it's 10 times more likely that you won't succeed than you will, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but the people that make something happen are the ones that, that sit there and go, okay, it's 10 to 1, I get it, fuck it, I'm doing this. And they start looking for 
what it would take to be the one, right? So some of the things that I would say to your drummers, and it doesn't matter whether they're a drummer, guitar player, whatever, musicians, um, while the creative process and the making music is entirely an emotional creative outlet, right, and, and should be where all the fun and gratification is, if you want your music to be heard, if you want your drumming to be heard, if you're, you want your drums to be on, you know, a great record as opposed to a home recording, right, um, you are no different than any business who's left with, hey, I've got a great product, how do I let people know that is happening. So if you're a drummer and you're just sitting in your house and you are the greatest drummer on the world and you're not doing anything to spotlight that, to showcase that, to let to get out in the neighborhood and let people know what a great drummer you are, you will not succeed, right? It's entirely likely that a guy you think is not as good a drummer as you, but who's much better at networking, who treats what started as a hobby or something they did out of love but they want to turn into a career requires that you treat your career as a business and that's very unsexy um you know it's not very artsy steve you always talk about the business well and I, i've had that conversation thousands of times with clients i go well it's because you want to make a living out of this you right. want to buy a house in malibu out of this you can't pay for that house with love and enthusiasm. They're going to want money. So <laughs> it's two heads, and, and they're constantly colliding. And, and it's why you have all the arguments with labels and artists and managers and artists. And you know, It's just the nature of the beast. So for you musicians out there, drummers, no different. Um, if you're really good, go show it. If you're a golfer and you think you're really good, you know what you do? You don't sit there and play with a bunch of hack buddies. You go out and you play in a tournament. So when they call your name, you're scared shitless, mm -hmm. right? Because it focuses you, right? Um, if you're out there drumming, go out there and look at what the guys that are getting drumming gigs do all the time. Uh, did you interview Josh Freeze? Uh, no, I, he's, he's on the list though. He's, uh, okay. Well, yeah, I know you interviewed Chad Smith. I did. If you spend, if you spend some time with those guys, they are very personable. They are shaking hands. They are meeting people. They are promoting, mm -hmm. right? And they're making friends, right? They're not some moody guy who's, oh, he's a fucking great drummer, but what a prick he is, right? Right. Um, there is Blasco, who's a, bass player and guy who played with Ozzy Osbourne, his manager of Black Veil Brides, you know, said it best. He goes, you know, just because you're a great player doesn't mean anything because when you go out on the road, I got to live with you the other 23 hours a day. So if you're the greatest player in the world, but you're a miserable prick, right? Mm -hmm. I might take somebody who can just play what we need that everybody likes. Yep. And, and, and so this notion that I'm a great drummer, I'm a great guitar player, and I should be rewarded for that is not only misplaced, it won't do you any good because in the real world, you need to be good enough and likable enough. Yep. And that is equal in most cases in the uh, real music business. And you know that. Uh, there's so many guys that, not so many, but there's a lot of guys that I know who are phenomenal and can't get gigs. Because they're assholes, nobody likes yeah. them. They're late. They're, you know, their attitude, right? Yeah, they're horrible to be on the bus with. They're, you know, they can't. They're drink. They're getting drunk on on the bus and throwing up. And it's like throwing up. Oh yeah, I've seen it all. And and I cringe as I hear you say because I not to fit, but I I I sit there and go, folks, 
that's the music business you didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> so my uh, one of my best friends is. Do you remember a band called the Bloodhound Gang? Sure. So one of my best friends is, has been in that band since they started, and they were looking for a new guitar player. And I was like, so what's the audition process like? And he's like, well, first we have Simpsons trivia. Then we have uh, we have them like come over to the house for like a couple days. Then we do this. Then we do this. Then we do this. Then we check out his guitar playing. Yeah. And he's like, because you're it's a roommate. You're hiring yeah. somebody that's going to be living in a very small, you know, very small quarters for a very long time. And we got to make sure that we get along and we got to make sure that we're the same type of people, because if not, we're going to kill each other. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work in the end. That That's what I've, I've learned. And I, I learned a valuable lesson. And this is one for the folks out there. You can't make people smarter, more agreeable more talented, more industrious, more ambitious than they want to be. And, and God knows my personality. I have tried to make that happen only to conclude that, Steve, at the end of the day, they'll decide how smart, how energetic, how ambitious, how responsible they want to be. Don't drive yourself fucking crazy over it. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and by the way, don't drive the artist crazy over it. If they're just knuckleheads, at some point, you just go, you know what? I wish you the best of luck. Um, but this one isn't working for me anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's okay. Sure. Sure. You know? Picking your partners in the music business, particularly for bands, which is just so tricky. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but it's equally important in business, right? You got to pick your partners wisely. Um because the the cost of getting it wrong is much huger than you think. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, what do you suggest for the you know for the people that are that are like, oh man, this is it's not sexy and and it's not art. It's not art to really concentrate on the business. Find somebody else who does that well and pay them, or or yeah, just yeah. learn some basic business skills. And well, I think it's both, right? And and and, and you know. You mentioned it. If you're really good, you'll attract some attention. And with that attention will come some analysis, right? I'm a band. I see a band. You know, hey, I like that band. They got a great look. They got that. I'm Let me go meet the band. So that, that assessment process starts, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so clearly you want to have a manager. You want to have a, you know, big-time manager, big-time label on, on your team and, and so forth, Right. Um, because it makes sense. But I think for the artists to think, well, I'll just let somebody else handle it. I can think of so countless stories over the years where the artist just turned into, quote, unquote, the dumb art. I'm the artist. I don't deal with that stuff, only to find out their manager, their publisher, whoever stole them blind, right? Yep. Yeah, because I'm an artist. You know, I used to have some, some moments with artists when they would play what I used to call the artist card. I'm an artist, Steve. And I would get in their helmet very quickly goes, what the fuck does that mean? I'm an artist. Like you have some exclusion. You have some right to be a fucking idiot. What if I said, Hey, being a manager is really more art than science. And I forgot to pick up the check tonight. Okay. <laughs> no bread for you. About, <laughs> how would you feel about that? And if I said, Oh, but I'm an artist, right? So having some general awareness of how the business operates uh, is important. I'll use, a, I'll use a, a better example as a manager, right? 
Um, people, you know, some people would assume that I got involved with every detail of the business and this and that. When the truth is, nothing could have been further from the truth. When it came to making music, I was quite happy to go find a producer or with the help of labels and other folks that I've met who were going to go in there and handle the recording process, right? Who had track record doing that. And for me, they became the manager of the recording process, right? Um, people that worked at the label, I was quite happy to sit with the publicity, head of publicity or head of promotion and let them be the captain of those areas, you know, hiring people on the touring crew, right? Um, but, at the end of the day, I was responsible for the whole of it. So having an understanding of what the production manager was doing, what the lawyer was doing, and what the you know press guys were doing, and the publisher was doing, at this big picture level, um, was hugely important. So I understood how it worked. Did I need to get into every grinding detail of it? No. Do I know some managers that feel? That they that the only way you're, you're only a real manager if you get involved with every single detail. I say, well, if that works for you and your artist, great. For me, I just want to make sure I had the big picture completely in view and in the proper perspective. Right, knew where the pieces were going in the battle, and I was going to focus on the target and the pep talks. And sometimes the pep talks was, hey, you're not cutting this, man. I need this to happen right now, and you're not making this happen. So I'm going to give you one pep talk, and then I'm going to get a new captain in here. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And it's the same with an artist. You can hire a captain, but don't forget whose name is on the check and whose name is on the marquee. So take your time and make sure that you've picked a captain that can get you where you want to go. It's not going to fuck you along the way. Whether it's the business managers, there's one, you know, business manager takes in all the money and he's in charge of paying it out. And I can think of four or five, you know, vivid examples, you know, of genius business managers that turned out to be running Ponzi schemes. Mm -hmm. So long story short, Yes, try to find a professional whose expertise is, for Steve Rennie, was I'll be the manager, you be the drummer, Nick, right? And you be the greatest drummer in the world, and I'm, my job is to get the money, and I'm going to get the money. I'm not going to worry about playing drums too much, except I know a good drummer when I see one, <laughs> right? And you just need to know enough about, Rennie looks like a good man. Oh, my checks are coming in. God, my record's going, okay. I'm yeah. going to let Rennie be the manager. I'm going to be the drummer. Yep. There's understand what I'm supposed to be doing and vice versa. I just talked to Kenny Arnoff and he was actually part of a Ponzi scheme recording session. There you have it. So they brought him in and they, they did, they, he recorded all these sessions and then they were like, we're starting this other company and he invested all this money into this other company and all this other stuff. And the whole thing was a Ponzi scheme. He lost tons of money and like all, it was crazy. crazy. And I'm sure Kenny Arnoff is probably, in his 50s now, if not a little bit older, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't get a whole lot of chances to get that back, right? There's a, there's a uh, lesson in my course. I'll chill here a little bit. Nick. Yeah. Um, and one, every employee that ever worked with me has heard and every artist has ever heard, it's called get the money, right? That's the clean version. The real one is, is like every kid I hired, I put a dollar bill over his desk and wrote on a GTF um, FM, get the fucking money, right? <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, it reminds me of Goodfellas. But that's the idea. <laughs> it's not sexy. Nobody wants to talk. It's not very artsy. I go, well, then go pay your house in wherever with art, okay? Or do it as a hobby. 
we need to get the money in in the worst tale ever for me was watching those sad fucking stories on the VH1 after the music of some guy who'd been to the top of the mountain who's now all he's got to show for it is the stories, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking the story, I got stories for days. But if somebody came over to my house, they go, Randy, you must have kept some of the money too. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did keep a little I, bit I of did. it. <laughs> I did. And, and I didn't do it by being stupid. I didn't do it by having six wives. I didn't do it by, you know, buying nine freaking cars and all that stuff. Right. I got the money because I respected the fact that as fast as it comes, it can stop. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and, and so anyway, enough. I'm, I'm going to get everybody to slash their wrist before we're done. No, I because I, these these are important lessons to learn. And if you want to be in the music business, they are, folks, as right. opposed to just making music for fun, yeah. which is much easier, by the way. <laughs> It's sometimes more enjoyable. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know who have tried to do this full time and they finally start doing it full time and they're like, man, I hate this. It's like a job. Well, see, it's it, interesting you should say that because, you know, it's one of the points I make with that, that thing is that if, if you if doing something you love inspired you to try to make that a career and ultimately made you hate the thing you love, how fucked up is that? Yeah. And, uh, and again, the golf analogy for me, I, I never lost my love of playing golf, right? When I couldn't do it for a living. But the truth is, after I went back to college for three or four years, it's not that I didn't play golf, but it was ever so infrequent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then, but, but then as soon as I started making some money, um, the clubs came out of the closet, went back in the trunk of my car, and and for the last. 35 years, <laughs> I got my clubs in my car Yeah, every day. And every time I leave my golf club, they go, Mr. Randy, why are you taking your clubs with me? I said, don't try to figure it out. I just like having them with me. It's my reminder every day mm-hmm. of what a lucky bastard I am. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a couple – I want to be cognizant of your time, but I, there's a couple questions I want to ask you to sort of uh, – to explain a couple things, and then I want to talk about your your course, your site, all that stuff as well. Um, so there's and and frankly, I don't even know the answers to these. So that this is why I want to ask you because there's a lot of titles that get thrown around, like a business manager and talent manager and the agent. And then I mean, I've I've had booking agents. We had a we had a manager. We had a tour manager. Uh, you know, but I never got to that sort of upper echelon where you know there's there's all of these handlers. So what mm-hmm. the, so what what what's the difference between all of these people and what was like a day to day as a manager for you like when you were managing Incubus? Well, I'll, I'll say that in in my view of it, right, um, the manager would be the equivalent of a CEO in in a, in a normal business context, right? Um, they are the ones that. That in, in conjunction with the artist, you know, and, and but sometimes not. Sometimes the artists are just happy to have you tell them what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that set the targets. Hey, we, we're, you know, I remember with Inc. was saying, one day we're going to come back and play Madison Square Garden. They were doing an in-store across the street, and I walked them over there. U2 was playing at Madison Square Garden. We walked over, and I looked at the marquee and said, you know, gentlemen, we're going to play this place, you know? And a couple of years later, we came back and we played Madison Square Garden. And I'm not, you know, a big, you know, sentimental guy, but I still have the poster 
and I'm looking at it right now. Sold out, Incubus, Madison Square Garden, June 21st, 2002, right? So they're the ones that set the target. And then they hire the rest of the management team. So think of the business manager as more of your chief financial officer, right? Mm -hmm. Think of your lawyer as your head of legal affairs, right? Um, think of uh, your agent is the, the, the senior vice president of live income, right? And, and so forth. And you start to understand what they do. It, within those bigger buckets are what we'll call some very important sub-buckets. If you're an incubus band and you're a touring act or you're a rush or you know, an act that has a touring day, then you, then you have this moving business on the road. So you might have your head of logistics, which would be your production manager, right? And then you'd have your tour manager and the production manager is the one in charge of what I like to you know, affectionately call the plumbing, the sound, the lights, the get them in, the get them out, you know, load those trucks, you know, he's the guy that decides, okay, we load this stuff first because we want the stuff at the end to come out, you know, it's like when you go and see how that whole operation works, that, that those production guys are like a machine, right? Mm -hmm. um, the tour manager is the one that's dealing with the band. And so while I'm out there helping, you know, sitting with the agent, talking about booking the tour dates, talking with the record company about where we're playing and what we can do to promote in those cities while we're there and so forth, um, the tour manager's in charge of the execution side. Hey, I need you to get the band to this radio station at this time, so that means they got to get them up and do something. Meanwhile, the production manager's over at the gig getting all the stuff loaded because all these things are happening simultaneously, right? Right. Sure. And uh, again, a lot of this stuff, and you brought up something that I found very interesting when I started this whole mentory thing. Things that I took for granted that I thought everybody knows, right? People don't have a clue at all in some cases. So a lot of those things in my little insider's guide to today's music business are laid out just the way uh, I described it. So if you, you don't have a lot of money or you're not really interested, you're going to find out a lot, of, a lot of the stuff you're hearing us talk about today, you'll, you'll find again. But we, we lay out what who the players are in the business because there'll be a whole gaggle of people at the record company side of things, the head of marketing, the head of promotion, the head of publicity, the head of new technologies, the business affairs, the, 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 the royalty department, the creative services department, right? So all of that stuff is laid out so that if you're a musician or you're a music professional who wants to work on that side of it like I've done, um, you understand who the players are. And you understand what they do. And once you have a good understanding of the fundamentals, whether it's the record business or golf, I've taken up flying recently, and there's a whole set of bedrock fundamental stuff that doesn't matter what kind of plane you're flying, right? It just helps you have that wide overview. And now you can concentrate on being the biggest drummer in the world. Mm -hmm. But when it starts to happen, you'll have an understanding of how the pieces work together and 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 that's that serves you well <laughs> yeah so how do you suggest people get into that side of the industry the the business side yeah um and is got, it worth still getting into now well i have two sons you know 20 and a 23 year old and um tony dimitras who was having dinner with last night has a son and, and ironically the two guys that have had a lot of success in the music business are nervous about their kids going in the music business, but it was always a long shot, and you know I can't talk them out of it, and they'll figure it out. But we were talking about our kids and interns and, and so forth, and how 
Now, today the kids go, I don't really want to do that, or I didn't really like that, or and I'm not really sure about that, where they think they're actually picking a job, right? Where when the grizzly old guys like us sitting there going, hey, get started! Yeah. Anywhere! Yeah. Get your first gig. Get your first low-paying gig in the music business. Stop thinking you're going to be a mogul. Just get in the game. Zero to one. (laughs) Yeah, show up at the gig. Show up at the golf course. Show up at the ballpark. Show up wherever your dreams lie. Getting started is the hardest part, right? Yeah. There's a practical side of getting started. How do I get a job? How do I meet those people? And then there's this kind of psychological thing of the people that are forever studying, preparing, but have no intention to actually – have somebody call their name to the office, to the tee, to the ballpark, to the whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so don't be a professional student, folks. I've learned 99.9% of what I know about the music business from doing it. Yeah. Succeeding and, and a lot of the learning has come from failing. I've failed many more times, quote unquote, than I've succeeded in the music business. But here's what you need to know. The one great success can make everybody forget all the, the quote failures because it's it's a lights on lights off business. You know, big home run is all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong about that, Nick? No, <laughs> not at but, all, folks. There is no middle class in yeah. the music business. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And, I, you know, I think it's you look at this mountain and you're like, why would I get to the top of this mountain? How am I going to do that? Well, this thing, this thing's not going to get me there. And this thing, I don't know if this will get me there. And it's like you're you're stuck in decision land instead of action land and letting that lead you to somewhere else. Yeah, it's, you, you know, you got to show up, folks, and, and you're going to get your ass kicked. And you're going to lose more than when people ask me all the time. I mean, I can't say, okay, I'm putting out my record independently. I, I get this email a hundred times a week, and I think they're always shocked that the guy, fuck the gatekeepers, is telling them, have you sent your music to a record label? No. I want to do it indie. Why do you want to do it indie? Because I want to keep control. All right. Um, how are you going to – and you want to know what you should do to get your music out there. All right. Well, here's what I'm going to suggest. You need to get on the radio. Right. How do I do that? You don't know how to do that? Okay, let's put that in the column of maybe why I shouldn't be thinking Andy. Okay, let's imagine you did know how to do it. Uh, you got 50 or 60 grand? 50 or 60 grand for what? To get on the radio. Well, my music's great. I said, all the music that those promo guys are taking, it's great too. Okay? Except Joe Palooka's got a long-term relationship with the guy that's going to play that other guy's record and not yours, you know? Oh, cool. All right, videos. You know, the industry used to spend ridiculous amounts of money making videos. Today, you can do it with all the technology, equipment, and cameras. You can be much more – you can make unbelievably creative stuff for not a lot of money, but you still take some money or knowing somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, they need to take their music in there. And the reason they don't do it is because they're afraid of hearing a no. And I say it to people all the time. If you don't ask – you don't get. I learned that caddying for an old Jewish lady at Hillcrest Cuts. Because, Stevie, you don't ask, you don't get. Yep. When I was 16, and I, re- I say it every day to somebody because it was the greatest advice I ever got in my life other than the guy who said, Stevie, get the fuck out of here. Go into business. Don't think, you know, when you're teaching Mrs. Ellis how to play golf, for Christ's sake, right? <laughs> and uh, so you don't ask, you don't get. And 
you might have to stomach a thousand no's to get the gig that your buddy has or the next guy has, right? Mm -hmm. It only takes one or two great yeses out there, folks, to turn your career out of the music bit. But you better be prepared when you get the yes that you deliver. Let's not forget that, right? So the question becomes, how many no's can you stomach in search of the one or two great yeses? Yeah. I don't know that. That's different for everybody. You know, the people that do great things are the ones that have a very almost cavalier, fuck the gatekeepers I'm doing. Yeah, I get that it's tough. Okay, great. Now let me figure out how the winners got there and borrow from them what might work for me. Understand that what worked for me that worked for this person or worked for that person may not work for you, but you got to get out there and make something happen. And it doesn't happen with you sitting on the couch or studying it forever. That's why I think my courses are great. You want to study here. I'm going to give you 150 freaking lessons that I call it a course, but all the people that have sat on my couch for the last 35 years have heard every one of them. And it was just called, that's the way the music business is. Deal with it or not. Your call. Sure. <laughs> so now you, you launched this website. It's, it's, it's an online learning uh, site where people can learn the ins and outs of the music business with you. And then you have other guests and things like that, right? Yeah. Well, again, you're, yes, in a nutshell, that's it. The site is, is gone through various incarnations. And as you and I discussed before we started, um, you know, I put on this web show called Rent Me In Live where I did just what you're doing. You're invited, um, you know, people from the music business, artists, music, you know, music professionals, and some big ones, you know, Grammy Award winners, you know, uh, I don't want to gloat, but these are people that I've worked with over the years that were friends of mine, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I invited them into the, to, to the office here, which is now like a studio, and interviewed them and took questions and so forth from people around the world. And... Um, had a you know it, you know the staff of people to help me do it, and uh, only to find that in some ways um, there are a lot more people that are interested in being successful in the music business, but those very same people are are not so likely to want to actually pay for some help in understanding the business side. They dismiss it right and and I've come to realize that that's part of the whole deal. They don't really want to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because the people that are really serious about the music is, I got about six or 7,000 members of our site that are regulars. Um, they're a different breed of cat. Okay? They actually know how tough it is. They actually know that connecting with people in the music business is important. And for whatever strange reason I've decided to do it, um, they get some hope. Because they go, well, this guy's a real music pro. He's actually done this, and he's actually spending this time giving back to us. And what they don't know is that I've been very successful, and I'm okay with that, and don't have the same need for that, you know, validation that I did when I was younger. And I'm at a different place in my life where I'm quite happy to uh, to share some of my experience and inspire some of the people that are truly serious, knowing that if I talk to a thousand kids. Um, Maybe 20, maybe 50 will right. actually have a career in the music business. And most of those will be on the business, not the artist side. Mm -hmm. And do you think it's because of lack of effort or do you think it's just sheer numbers game? I think it's always been one in a million. That never changed with all the changes. It never changed. Okay, mm -hmm. It's just people have these 
platforms as I did to do web shows and as we're doing here today. You can be talk show host. You don't need to get hired by Clear Channel or whatever, right? Everybody right. can get in the game a little bit, right? And so it, it, it fosters this notion that, that somehow we're all on the same playing field with those other folks. So if I have my music on TuneCore and Spotify and iTunes and I'm an indie artist and so does Beyonce, to think that we're actually in an equal place there is a joke if you've been in the music business, right? right? <laughs> if you're out there dreaming, you know, hey, I'm releasing my single, Steve. Well, they got the lingo right. Great. You're releasing your single. What are you going to do? I'm putting it on TuneCore or Spotify. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to tweet it out to my followers. Great. And so would that be like the tree that just fell in the Pacific Northwest, you know, 300 miles from even the closest town? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I wasn't there when the tree fell. And neither was anybody else. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's for those folks, you know, watching your podcast. I, I, I bet you already know the profile of your your podcast folks. It, it's there's probably a million more drummers than there are people coming to your site. And I'm betting, Nick, that you can talk to two or three of them in within two or three minutes size up whether they're just a dreamer or a doer. Mm -hmm. Dreaming's easy doing very messy but the only way you'll do something great is to do it but why do you think people are so afraid to do the failure just because, fear of failure? because they're afraid of failure and the, and the thing i would you know say you know kind of end this is that everybody is afraid of failure and and the truth is failure will find you okay if you're out doing but there's no way success will find you if you're not out there risking failure, it's that simple. So it, at a certain point, the great business people just said, fuck it, I'm doing this. And they kind of accepted in a strange way that they could be wrong and they're okay with it. The same way, you know, I watch the military channel all the time, the history channel, and there's always those shots of combat happening. And some fucking lieutenant or captain walking around with a cigarette or a cigar in his mouth, walking around while all the bullets are fucking flying and shit's flying. And you wonder, how, what the fuck? And, and I'm sitting there going, he's figured out if the, one of those things has got my name on it, it's going to find me. It's so already up, got my name on it, right. Gentlemen, up the hill. I'm scared <laughs> to death. Well, so you want, you want to get killed here and we'll take you back on the boat? Right. <laughs> I'm going up the fucking hill. Yeah. Who's coming with me? And by the way, start screaming and shooting. I mean, that's a bad analogy, but it's right. not it's right. somewhat analogous to the music. It's a battle. So I think, it, and by the way, folks, it's okay if you decide, wow, I'd rather just play drums in the band on the weekend with my buddies and have some fun. That is entirely okay. Don't judge your success or failure in the music is some kind of indicator or measurement of your character as a person. You would be making a huge mistake to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's why, just music, folks. <laughs> why do you think people? Why do you think people don't want to invest sort of into the business side of things? Like we were talking about earlier, it's harder. It's way harder to get somebody to buy a course on how to promote themselves on social media than to sell them a snare drum. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I just have my theories. It's in some, in part of it, is somewhat negative. People, 
just don't want to know, right? But, there, but the irony is with regard to the music business, there are countless courses now in universities. My son is in the music program at USC, and that'll cost you 75, 80 grand a year, right, times four to learn about the music business. And so I've talked to countless kids that have gone to these music universities and MI and Full Sail and Berkeley, and God bless them, right? I'm not taking, want to take a shot at them, but I could show you 100 emails where kids say, God, I spent 100 grand um, at school X, Y, or Z, and I learned more watching your Ren Man live show than I ever did in school. And part of it is because in, in, in a lot of cases, you have people, quote, teaching the business that didn't have real success in the business. Mm -hmm. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, their way of staying in the music business, well, I'll teach music business because I used to run a little recording studio, right? And I'm, you know, so... Fair enough. But the irony is those kids are walking around with $100,000 ball and chains around their, their ankles, right? And they still don't have a job in the business because getting the job in the business is about who you know and your networking right. capacity and your, your skills in that regard, right? Mm -hmm. And I've hired some people that, you know, that were interns and work with me, right, that had degrees from these places. But I found out after I hired them. Never asked, never cared because I thought, oh, that's cute. That's fun. Um, <laughs> right. Doesn't matter. And whatever. This, this so is the real world. People won't throw down $100. And I've gotten some emails from people. Well, my mom thinks if it's $100, it can't be great. And I'd say, well, with the greatest you've go hug your mom. But she doesn't know jack shit about the music business because if she did and she spent 10 minutes with me, she'd be going, oh, God, I can't believe, honey, we spent hundred grand for Junior to go to MI. All right. Instead of a hundred dollars, <laughs> hey, here, hey, mom, dad, that hundred thousand you spent, here, give it to your kid twenty years, twenty grand a year, and tell him to go out and start looking for a gig in the music business. <laughs> it reminds me of Goodwill Honey when he says, "The sad part is you just waste a hundred grand on a on an education you could have got for a dollar fifty in late charges at the public library." <laughs> but it's true. But part of that is. The, the the cultural thing we're taught, you got to go to college, you got to go to college, you got to get a degree, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have one son who, who quit college, my oldest son, um, which concerns me a little bit. But I quit college and then went back later on once I'd scratched the itch. Right. right? And right. not for music, but for something else. And and then ultimately, so, much of the, so many of the lessons I learned and certainly things about character um, – of trying to be a golfer, those same kind of fucking, I'm doing this, you know, God, this is not working. This is not working. I quit, but I'm starting tomorrow morning. I go, I kid everybody. I quit golf six times a week. The problem is I keep starting seven days a week. Sure, you know what sure. I mean, same true in the music business. I've quit a million times. I've mm -hmm. quit this website thing a million times. All right. right. This, this is a jerk off. This is a waste of time. You know, I'm talking to myself and, you know, in, 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 somebody, I get it. yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> One last question. I'll let you go. Why did you, why did you decide to sort of get out of the, not, I don't want to say out of the business, but sort of just go on your own and do this rather than maybe trying to manage another band or go work for a different record label or something like that. I said it. When the day I started managing, actually, when I went, I was a manager, went to work at Epic and swore that I would never manage another band again. Because by and large, it was the most thankless gig you could possibly imagine. Really? When all said and done. Oh, absolutely, right? Because as much as I've been friendly with the artist and so forth and so on, that relationship 
is just like loaded dynamite with a short fuse. You know, because, and I say this with great respect to most musicians, and if you're offended by it, but ultimately you look in the mirror and think there might be something to it, a lot, of, a lot of musicians will not take any responsibility where business people almost demanded to take responsibility. Certainly a manager has to take responsibility. So um, when I went to work at Epic, I swore I'd never managed another band. I, Working at the company, not as a manager, I saw Incubus, you know, the gig, whenever I our guys found him. And, and I'll never forget talking to my boss at the time, Richard Griffiths, and saying, he goes, why should we sign this band, man? You are no, I didn't hire you to be a fucking A&R man. I said, fair enough, Richard. I said, I said, these kids are so good. I'd actually manage these kids if I ever did that again. And then I did. And, and I always said, you know, I didn't think it would last 16 years for me. Right. Um, you know, I'm going to just keep doing this till they either fire me or the whole thing runs out of gas. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And uh, we parted company after 16 years. And um, I am stoked for every moment I have. I wish the guys the best of luck. Um, but if I were offering a bit of editorial to my friends in Incubus, be like, hey, you need to get inspired because when the inspiration leaves, whether you're a manager or an artist, um, it's time to, to walk away. And for me, I think my inspiration to do the day-to-day side of it isn't there the way it is. But I still love the music the same way John Madden walked away from the Super Bowl, never took another job and said, you know what? I've kind of done that and I don't need to, ch- I don't need to climb that mountain again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, now, yeah. Just I'll talk to the people, whether it's my sons or their friends or people on Renman or get a Facebook Live Q and A the other day, and people call up and ask questions. And for me, it's my way of uh, of returning a little of the uh, good fortune and, and mentorship that I was lucky to have with some key mentors early in my career, and I never forgot how important that was. And so, um, without like sounding very noble I, I thought you know what it's fun for you as long as it's fun for you turn on the camera and say okay who's got a question right right well that makes sense and i mean hey i mean you ended it with a with a great i mean incubus is a great band i love those guys they're a terrific band and, and by the way a terrific bunch of guys um even though we hardly talk anymore and that's yeah. just the way the music business goes sadly right right so the site is uh, Renman MB, right? MB.com. That's Renman MB for music business, or, or my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's now, the website is really simple now. You go there, you can sign up for free. I call you a dreamer member, right? Uh, the course is called the Renman Insider's Guide to Today's Music Business. It, it comes in three different flavors. Uh, one, my concession to the fact that nobody wants to pay anything is our dreamer version where you can take the course and I'll, you sign up and I'll send you one lesson a week, which means, yes, folks, it would take you three years to finish the whole course. One year less and about $300,000 less than it would take you to take, learn all that stuff from an educator, right. <laughs> a music professional. Um, and, and there's also a version for $99 and that, that dreamer version is you get the lesson that I send you every week. So if you want to go talk about touring and I want to talk about something else, you're out of luck. Um, or you can have the solo version, which is 99 bucks. 
greatest hundred dollars you could ever spend. And by the way, for all the musicians, you know, I don't have a hundred dollars. They'll spend a hundred dollars on blow or beer, you know, or weed or a new guitar pedal, right? But couldn't spend it on something else. And then there's a what I call the mentor version, which is the same course which you can go at wherever you want. You can take the quizzes, you can go whatever subjects you want. Um, and it includes, you know, an hour Skype call, just like we're doing here today, where for the really serious ones, um, and that's who does that. Um, they're actually in the process of trying to make a career. They're actually out there trying to do it and feeling all the frustration sometimes that we discussed earlier mm-hmm. and who need and want to talk to somebody who's actually been through it, not somebody who's giving in their theory yeah. or their best practices. Right. <laughs> in the music business, which I always get a kick out of. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think that one, it's great what you're doing Two, I love the idea that, you've actually done this so you're you're not sitting here saying well from all the books that i've read this is how i understand you know how to book a band and things like that so i'm not a there i think there's a ton of people out there who are teaching people how to do things that they've never done before which i'm not oh, yeah. which yeah, i'm there's, there's, not there's a fan more, of geiger said about there's more truth and bullshit on the on the internet than any place on the planet right and folks just be wary of all these self-professed geniuses there's this little thing that came up with a few years ago called google yep and if somebody's got that's going to teach you about the music business i suggest you start with googling their name mm-hmm. and if you don't see a lot there read or don't read the writing of the wall. right exactly <laughs> So everybody go check out Remin MB. I'll link up to everything in the show notes and, and all that stuff so that, you know, so people can get to you. They can find you on social. I'll link to all that stuff so uh, they can connect with you. And Steve, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this for. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. So Likewise. And uh, for all you folks, stop dreaming out there. Folks. Make today you start be the day you start doing something about it. You know, I'm with you. I'm right there with you. So, again, Steve, thank you so much. Uh, I really do appreciate it, and I'll be talking to you soon. You got it. Thank you, Nick. All right, thanks. So there you have it, Steve Rennie, the one and only, and that guy knows his stuff about the music business, and I love his... His no holds barred, no, uh, you know, no, no sugarcoating it. He tells tells you exactly how it is, which I think is good because I don't think you should be setting yourself up for something that may or may not be a reality. So, uh, for everything that we talked about, the links and ways that you can get in touch with Steve and learn more about him and check out Remin MB, go to drummersresource.com forward slash session two. Three, one. I really hope that you dug this and I want to do more of these too. I want to do more guys that are really deep into the music business. So if that's something that you would like, please let me know. Feel free to shoot me an email, nick at drummersresource.com. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I almost forgot what I was going to say. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.